Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. Hello, I'm Craig Powell. I'm also one of the elders here at Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. Today we're going to continue on with our examination of Matthew chapter 19, and we'll be looking at verses 13 through 15. An interesting passage that Jesus deals with the little children. Jacob, would you mind reading those? It says, Then some children were brought to him, so he would lay his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Leave the children alone, and do not forbid them to come to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And after laying his hands on them, he departed from there. This is really a beautiful picture. And again, it shows us something of the approachability of Jesus, that parents felt comfortable in bringing little children to him. It doesn't appear in the accounts that the children were being brought to Jesus to be healed of some disease. Rather, they were being brought to Jesus in order that he might lay his hands upon them, simply touch them, and pray God's blessings to come upon them. As we look at the different words used to describe these people, Luke called them infants, Matthew and Mark referred to them as little children, it is clear that they were children of various ages. I believe the disciples issued their rebuke because they viewed or the bringing of children as an interruption in the teaching of Jesus. They viewed it as an interruption of the important work that the Lord had to do. But Jesus' response shows that he in no way felt the same. Mark tells us he was much displeased. Jesus was always eager to receive and help all who desired to come to him. He even had time for the little children. It was that act of the disciples in trying to prevent the children from coming to him that made the Lord angry. Citizens of the Lord's kingdom are to be such as little children, not childish, but childlike. It has nothing to do with age and everything to do with character. Children are characterized by humility, teachableness, innocence, unselfishness, loyalty, and so on. That is what a disciple of Jesus must be like. One receives the kingdom by hearing God's word concerning it with absolute trust and belief, and one enters into it by total submission to that word and humble obedience. Yeah, I think these verses are um, certainly powerful to show um, for parents, I think, uh, jumps out to me, you know, with, with, with children is not being a hindrance to them getting to Jesus. Jesus wants to have a relationship with all people, just as Greg talked about, and included in that is the little children, and to show um, as, as parents the importance, the necessity of Jesus um, in words, in example, um, to know this, it's Sunday. This is what Sunday's about. Are we going to go to for a Wednesday night Bible study? Or are we putting um, a sport or activity as greater importance? Um, as a, a parents could view that as it's not a big deal, um, and it's just a one-time thing. But the children, they know. They'll, they they notice. They pick up on things from a very young age. Pick up on the 
example and attitude of their parents. It's important to understand that and instill that in the children, that God wants to have a relationship with them. Um, also in uh, Luke's account, this, this instance is, is following the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, I think to the, the point of to be child-like. Um, and the humility that the tax collector displayed is, is also, uh, I think, paralleled in the humility of a child. And understanding the child knows that it needs its parents. Uh, how often it's you know asking the parents for the food or to get them something. Um, and at, perhaps, I guess, can be an annoyance to the parents at times. But the constant need for the, the parents and for us as Christians to be like them and understanding we need God. That we don't annoy him from constantly going to him, um, as we talked about in an earlier episode. But to constantly be going to him and know that we need him just as a, um, a child in a physical sense needs their parents. Yeah, I, I appreciate uh, your points about, um, you know, parenting here. And these accounts, it, it says that they brought the children to him. So these parents are, they see the Lord and they, they want his blessing on, on their children. And do we bring our children to Jesus? at every opportunity we have. And that opportunity starts in the home and teaching in the home. We have that responsibility. Ephesians tells us that the father is to head up that responsibility of teaching our children. Do we bring our children to Jesus? Uh, that's one point I wanted to make. The other one is about the disciples. Very interesting in, in Mark's account in ten fourteen, when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased, he said, when they were trying to stop the children from coming. And how many times do we see the disciples uh, or the apostles um, <clears throat> trying to act as like gatekeepers to Jesus, you know, or trying to decide where he should go next? And how many times it's, you know, and, uh, it, they're wrong. And just, uh, um, I think two episodes ago, we talked about them. Uh, him wanting to go to Judea again, and it was uh, when uh, Lazarus has died. And, or, you know, yeah, you're going to get stoned to death if you go to Judea again, you know, because they had tried to kill him the last time he had gone there. But he had to go. And uh, how many times do our plans, uh, do the plans of man go against what the plans of God would be or what Jesus would be? And it certainly happened with the disciples and the apostles as well, that what they had decided was, was different than what, what Jesus had planned. So now we move on to the next, and this is a rather well-known individual. Which we refer to him as the rich young ruler. The account of his, his encounter with Jesus is found in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22, which is where we will focus. But it's also found in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, and Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 23. But Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? 
Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. We know that this individual was a young man because Matthew calls him that twice. We know that he was a ruler because Luke referred to him as a certain ruler, and all three accounts make it clear that he was a wealthy individual. As a young man, he was probably not a ruler in the sense of being a member of the Sanhedrin, but perhaps as a ruler of a local synagogue. This seems reasonable to me. He showed energy. He showed enthusiasm, along with the concern for things of a spiritual nature. He had youth, riches, and authority, but he was still dissatisfied. This dissatisfaction was not over what he possessed, but a concern that he may have been lacking something spiritually. You know, as Jesus finished his teaching concerning the little children, this young man came running to overtake him. His reverence is shown in that he knelt before Jesus and he asked the Lord, Good Master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? The response of Jesus is very interesting. Some have foolishly claimed that by the statement, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God, that Jesus was saying that he himself was not good and in so doing denying his divinity. But nothing could be further from the truth other than suggesting that Jesus was essentially saying either I am not good or I am God. That is true, but not the point. Jesus was calling into question the young man's loose usage of the word good. He was tossing it around very freely, good master and good thing, without really understanding the meaning of the word. There is only one who is really, truly good in the absolute sense of the word. That one is God. The young man needed to be very careful about how he described people and things, himself included. Yeah, I, in reading this, I noticed in, pre- in preparation something. Um, obviously, this is a very well-known story, but I had noticed this before. In verse 21, when Jesus says, if you want to be complete, or as um, as Greg was reading, his version said, perfect. Um, I, I, that just stuck out to me more so this time than it ever has before. Um, of this, this young man had been doing these things, as he says in verse 20. He's kept these things, what am I lacking? Um, and Jesus tells him, if you want to be complete, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor. You'll have treasures in heaven, come and follow me. I think for us, you know, are we willing to get rid of those things that perhaps can be a hindrance for us to be complete, to be perfect for God? Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to perhaps let go of or um, stop the pursuit of treasures on this earth for treasures in heaven? What is our goal what is our focus um on on paper treasures on treasures in heaven are a lot better than treasures on earth everyone is going to circle that but are we living that out and where are we living it in a way that we are showing that we are after treasures in heaven rather than treasures on this earth 
Um, and, and the rich young ruler is going to be left with, with that opportunity. This ruler was a Jew and very well acquainted with the law of Moses. By mentioning the commandments, Jesus was telling him that God had already told him what he needed to do to be pleasing in his sight. Jesus added, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. To this the young man replied, All these things I've kept from my youth up. What do I still lack? Or what lack I yet? Some have said that this young man was demonstrating an arrogant, haughty spirit with this reply. But I don't think so. Because Mark tells us that after his response, that Jesus loved him. So it's apparent that this young man truly thought that he'd done his best and had kept the commandments but felt some dissatisfaction, a feeling that there, there, there must be something more. He was more spiritually minded than the Pharisees because he asked, what do I lack? And most of the Pharisees did not believe they lacked anything. He felt that there was room for improvement. He had kept the letter of the law, which was necessary, but it was the spirit of the law that was concerning this young man. If you will be perfect, go and sell what thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. The principle is clear. Whatever it is that rules our lives and keeps us from surrendering completely to the Lord must go. You know, I, <clears throat> I think of, uh, of the early church and how they... Uh, behaved in in contrast to uh to this young man in acts 2 and uh i'm going to read two uh scriptures here acts both of them in acts and acts 2 and verse 44 now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need and and then in acts 5 or i'm sorry acts 4 uh verses uh 32 uh, through 37. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is what the rich young ruler lacked, was uh, he saw wealth, as a possession of his and not something that he could help others with. Um, and it's interesting that he went away. You would almost expect him to go away like angry and and not sad. I think he was sad. Maybe, maybe his sorrow was, maybe he's just disappointed in himself, you know. And I, I know we're not given... I like to think <laughs> that the rich young ruler went away and we don't know his fate of what he did, but uh, I'd like to think that he went away and thought about it and his sorrow and came back and laid his possessions at Jesus' feet as the as were given in, in Acts. But um, 
an interesting comparison between uh, Matthew 19 and Acts 2 and 4. Yeah, when, when I think of this, where it leaves off with the rich young ruler and him going away, it reminded me of Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son with the brother there, the brother that stayed, and that we, we don't know how he's going to react after the, the father explains that, you know, we need to celebrate your brother that was lost and has been found, and we don't know what that brother that stayed, its reaction is going to be. It's left open, um, and certainly it's, it's in a similar way here. We don't know what the rich young ruler is going to do. Um, certainly, absolutely hope that he did um, did sell his possessions and, and go after the treasures in heaven rather than the treasures on earth. Um, absolutely, it's understandable why he went away grieving. Um, certainly, he cared about these things that he had um, and the property that he had, but um, certainly, hopefully, he was willing to get rid of those for the treasures of heaven, and hopefully, for us, an application that we're able to recognize the things that are perhaps holding us back from being complete to God and serving Him in the best way that we can, and to let go of those things and giving our all to God as He deserves. I want to take the time, because of the this particular account, and I want to read to you something that was written by McGarvey and Pendleton in the book entitled The Fourfold Gospel. I think it really really does a good job. This is what they said. The command to sell all is not a general one, but a special precept needed in this case. Number one, to dispel the ruler's self-deception. On the negative side, his character was good, but on the positive, it was deficient. He had done his neighbor no harm, but he had also done him very little good. Secondly, to show impartiality. The invitation of Jesus shows that the ruler desired to be in some manner a disciple, and hence he is subjected to the same test which the other disciples had accepted and of which Peter soon speaks. Paul also was rich in self-righteousness like this man, but cheerfully sacrificed all that he might follow Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. Moreover, the reference to treasure in heaven and the invitation to follow Christ tested the ruler's obedience to the first four commandments of the Decalogue as condensed in the great summary or the first commandment, Matthew twenty-two, thirty-seven, and 38. Though the ruler perhaps did not fully realize it, those who heard the conversation must have afterward been impressed with the great truth that the ruler was called upon to make his choice whether he would love Christ or the world, whether he would serve God or mammon. The whole scene formed an illustration of the doctrine expressed by Paul that by the law no flesh can be justified, for perfection is required of those who approach God along that pathway. Those, therefore, who have done all still need Christ to lead them. I think that's an excellent statement, and the principle is clear again. Whatever it is that rules our lives and keeps us from surrendering completely to the Lord has got to go, whatever that might be. Anybody else have anything to say? Okay, then that's going to bring this lesson to a close today. I say this lesson is just an episode as we study together the life of Christ and the harmony of the Gospels. We want to thank each and every one of you who listen 
And again, encourage you to tell your friends and contact us via the website, www.nkcofc.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.